Well, if you'll please take a copy of God's Word and turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. If you're visiting with us today, this is a bit of a different sermon over the next couple weeks. We'll be looking at the offices of elders and deacons. It worked out well in that my next text in our series in 1 Peter actually dealt with elders. So this week we'll be looking at the office of elder, and then next week we'll be looking at the office of deacon as we um, come close to our time of nominations for these two offices, which will begin uh, the first week of September and run through it four months. So please be in prayer for that process um, that the Lord would bring us the right men of His choosing. But to prepare us, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Hear now the word of the Lord. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders." Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we um, ask for your blessing upon this time, that you would send forth your Spirit to help us understand, to give us eyes to see this morning and ears to hear. We pray all these things in the matchless name of our Chief Shepherd, Jesus. Amen. Well, um, I'm going to do a little more teaching than preaching this morning. I've done this before, but um, every year as we come to the time of officer nominations, we like to review uh, what the call of an elder and deacon, uh, what that call is on each one of these offices. Um, But we have many new faces over the last year the Lord has brought us, for which we're very grateful. And so I want to answer the very fundamental question this week, why do we have elders? And next week, why do we have deacons? Assuming that we don't know anything. Uh, Assuming that we have forgotten why we are Presbyterian. Now, the word Presbyterian is is one of those unhelpful words that no one knows what it means anymore. Um, When we say that we are a Presbyterian church, uh, the word Presbyterian comes from the Greek word presbyteros, which means elder. So when you see a Presbyterian church, all it means is that we are a church that is led by elders. Now, we also have some distinctives when it comes to theology, but, but that is what our, our name means. So we think about what it means to be an elder and deacon this week as we look at why God has given us elders. Let's first remind ourselves of the difference between elders and deacons. An elder uh, is someone whom the Lord has called. Uh, the Lord has called from His people to oversee the spiritual matters of a church. Christ is the head of the church. He is the head of this church. Uh, But he has called men to serve as under-elders, we might say, under-shepherds, serving under the chief shepherd of Jesus, to guide and protect, to teach and lead and serve the local congregation. Elders are those men whom the Lord has called to oversee the spiritual condition, the spiritual matters of a local congregation. Deacons, then, are those men whom the Lord has called to deal primarily with the physical concerns and aspects of the church. 
there's a still a spiritual service like that of the elder. It is not that elders are more spiritual and deacons don't know Jesus or something, or that deacons are a stepping stone to become elders. That's not at all. These are, these are worthy offices that the Lord has called men to serve in. The Lord has called elders to deal with the spiritual oversight of the congregation, while the Lord has called deacons to have oversight of the physical needs of the congregation. That is, the church building, the church people. They're charged with guiding us financially and dealing with the financial needs of those who are in need in the community, of taking care of those who are vulnerable, like the widows, orphans, and the like. And these are the two offices the Lord has given to us. And the Lord has called us um, to serve in those, in those two offices until He comes again. But we must ask the question, why do we have elders? Well, we start in the Old Testament. God has always dealt with His people by and through elders. From the very beginning, God has provided elders for His people to help guide and protect, to shepherd and have spiritual oversight of His people. We have them in our church because we are convinced this is true. Now, there are other wonderful, God-fearing, uh, biblically-based churches in our community that don't have elders. And we want to have humility as we come to this text. Because they love Jesus just as much as we do. We love Jesus just as much as they do. But on this point, we do differ. And so we see in Scripture evidence for having elders leading a local congregation. We see this all the way back to Moses' day. Do you remember when Moses went... Uh, to the Israelites, to tell them that God had sent him to free them from Pharaoh's hand. To whom did he go? Exodus 4, verses 29 and 30 tells us, Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. To whom did he go? He went to the elders of Israel. If we fast forward into the wilderness when Moses, when Israel were walking around, do you remember whom, what Jethro said? Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, says you must have men to help you with this. If we go forward to Mount Sinai when God met with his people, we have a, a codified group, a council of elders of 70 who served as the representatives of God, or of representative of Israel before God. Exodus 24, 1 tells us, Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. We see the elders of Israel playing important roles later in the time of the judges, when there was no king in the land. And then in the time of the kings, they aided the king in administering and governing Israel as its representatives. If we move forward again, when we see God's people in exile in Babylon, God would send prophets, plural, to speak to Israel. And to whom did they go and speak? They went to the elders of Judah. If we fast forward again to the intertestamental period, that is the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament, these, these 400 years, God's people, Israel, uh, divided themselves up into synagogues, wherever they were, these local congregations that would gather on the Sabbath day to study and to worship, to hear the word of God preached and read. And do you know how they were governed? Each local synagogue had a group or a council of elders. And so was all of Israel. Do you remember the, the trial that Jesus had the morning of his crucifixion? There was a group who would ultimately turn him over to Pilate asking that, that he would crucify Jesus. It was the Sanhedrin 
or as Acts twenty two sixty six says, at daybreak the council of the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the teachers of the law met together and Jesus was there before them. He was, this was a council of elders. This was a group of elders who were responsible for the spiritual oversight of Israel. Now they sure blew it that day, didn't they? But this was the God-ordained version or how they should govern Israel. In the Old Testament, we have uh, the, the book of, of promise. The Old Testament is, a, is the book of promise, whereas the New Testament is the book of fulfillment. And so we see what was great in the Old Testament, the Lord continues in the New Testament as well. He doesn't often change how He um, relates to His people, and He continues to relate to His people through elders, which we see in the New Testament. God's people were used to being part of congregations led by and governed by elders. And this continued right into the first century church. Do you remember what Paul did when he went to uh, found and, and start churches? He would uh, see conversions happen. He would disciple them. And then we read in Acts 14, 23, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. Paul and the other apostles did not leave these churches without leaders to care for them and to, and to guide them and to shepherd them. And before he would leave, he would appoint elders to care for the local flock. When Paul wrote to Titus, who was serving on the island of Crete, what did he write? This is why I left you in Crete, he writes, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. There are plenty of other texts in the New Testament that tell us that God's church was um, served and governed and led by elders. Just like when Paul would call together the the elders uh, in Ephesus, the Ephesian elders at Miletus, and tell them goodbye. Or in Acts chapter 20, that's in Acts chapter 20 verse 17, or, or James's exhortation to call upon the elders for prayer when they were sick. So why do we have elders here at First Presbyterian Church? To be honest, I think we're the only church in all of Bruton and East Bruton that has elders. Why do we do this? Is it something we made up? No, we do it because it is the witness of Scripture that God has always led His people by under-shepherds, by under-elders, as it were, serving under Him. And so the Lord has called us to have elders. There are two kinds of elders in our system. You'll notice on the back of your bulletin that you have listed uh, five men who are serving as elders. And these are what are called ruling elders. Ruling elders are those men whom the Lord has called from the local congregation to serve uh, together as elders, to help make decisions and care for and guide the flock that the Lord has entrusted to them. I too am an elder, by the way. Uh, I'm what's called a teaching elder. And what that means is that I've been to seminary and I've been called to teach the congregation. And I can do a few other things. I can marry and bury and administer the Lord's Supper and baptism, whereas the office of ruling elder cannot. But it is one office. We are all elders. And when we gather together as the session, the council of elders once a month, we have the same authority. We are all elders together, making decisions together as we seek the Lord for guidance. 
We see this division or these two um, roles within the office of elder supported in 1 Timothy 5.17. We read that let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So you have even in 1 Timothy um, both of these roles in place. I'd like to say as an aside that it is a real blessing to work with our elders. Um, when I think of my, my fellow brethren whom I know from seminary who are in systems in their churches where they make all the decisions, um, I shudder because, y'all, I'm young. I don't know if you picked up on that. I'm really 18 going on 19 now. I'm very young, and, and I need people to help me. And the great thing about our session, our group of elders, is that the Lord has called very godly men. That's true of our diaconate as well. We'll talk about them next week. But it is a delight to work with the men on our session. We are men of different backgrounds, of different professions, of different histories. And it is a delight to, to when we come together and deal with difficult topics... The Lord uses those different backgrounds, those different perspectives for His glory as we all bring different perspectives to an issue. And through prayer and study and and discussion, the Lord brings us to consensus. Um, It is a real blessing to work together with uh, with men of such high calling and character in our church. The Lord has given you a very good session. Um, Pray for these men. Pray for me. Pray for your deacons too. Uh, We need it. Um, it's a good system. And it's a good system because I believe it's, it's God's system. So, so what do elders do? That's the question. So we've established that God has called elders to lead the church. What do they do? What does it look like for elders to lead the church? Well, we, if we back up and look at 1 Peter chapter 5 again, let me read these verses now that we kind of know about elders. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. There are three words used in this text interchangeably that are important ones. You see them all in in your bulletin, in your outline, these titles that of elders... The next of shepherds slash pastors and third overseers slash bishops. These words are translated differently throughout the New Testament. But you'll notice that especially this word bishop, it, you see the Greek word is episkopos from which we get the word episcopal. Um, you see the word presbyterian or presbyteros here with elders. These three words and translated different ways um, refer to the same office. So that's why we, you see that here in this text, Peter's very much speaking to one office, one group of men. Um, you see that in the rest of Scripture as well. So we don't see a need for, for bishops in our church. Um, though there, are very, uh, there are a great many very God-fearing denominations that do, that we respect and are thankful for. Um, but what are, what are they supposed to do? What are elders meant to do? The, the first thing is that elders are called to shepherd the flock. That's made very clear here in verse 2. God calls elders to shepherd the flocks. God has always called His, uh, his people His flock, and it's a, it's a term of endearment. When I speak of my family, my, 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 my mouth smiles. When God speaks of His flock, they are His precious ones. 
You know, sheep aren't very smart animals. But when God looks at us, He doesn't see, you know, dumb animals. He sees His precious own. And so it's this term of endearment that He uses to speak to elders. You must shepherd the, my precious ones. You're called to shepherd them, to guide them and to love them, to teach them, to care for them, to protect them, and to keep them from running astray. Peter instructs the elders here to shepherd God's flock, and, and God's flock in a, in a specific place, a local congregation. You know, it's interesting, it's, it's not only the role of the pastor to um, provide spiritual oversight or, or uh, care when things are going poorly, counsel. These things are things that we share as a session. This is what we are collectively called to do as elders. So when you think of what a shepherd does for a sheep, so too an elder is supposed to do for the congregation. Loving them, feeding them spiritually, guiding them towards what God has called them to do. Verse 3 tells us that elders are called to be an example to the flock. You know, when Paul wrote young Timothy, a young teaching elder, if you, were, if, if you will, in the Ephesian church, he told him to do two things. One, to be an example to the flock, and two, to preach the word. We see this in 1 Timothy 4, 12-13. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct in love, faith, and purity. Until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to reading. You know, it's an old altruism that that so go the officers, so go a church. That's very humbling. It's very humbling. As go the officers, so go the church. Have you ever seen a, a shepherd directing his flock along the path? Have you ever noticed they don't drive them, they don't they don't stand behind them? You can't drive sheep. You must lead sheep. You must set the example, the pace and the direction. And this is the high calling of elders that we lead. We lead the church. We lead the flock. We set an example in godliness and character and love and zeal for the Lord and holiness and evangelism. Elders are also called to oversee the flock. I think this word specifically deals with the administrative and organizational details as, uh, that elders have to deal with. You know, this isn't the fun part. You realize that, right? I mean, there, there are bits of, of being an elder that, that are more pleasant than others. And, and I just don't delight in administration. But this is one of the calls of being an elder is that we come together and we plan. You know, if you have a vine, it's not going to grow well if you don't have structure, if you don't have a trellis. And so the elders, as they exercise oversight, help uh, build the trellis, the structure that's needed for the congregation to thrive. And so it is the role of the session, the elders, to set the time of worship and what's done there. To set the time of the Lord's Supper and making sure that teachers are provided for in our Sunday schools. Um, You know, a lot of folks assist in those duties like our great committees. But these things ultimately come under the head of the session. Finally, they are to guard the flock. Guard the flock. When you think about what a shepherd does as as he guards the flock from those who would come in and wreak havoc within the flock. This is what Paul warned in, to the Ephesian elders in Miletus, in Ephesians, in Acts chapter 20, rather. Um, he, te- he said, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. He told them to watch out, to guard the flock. 
And so this is what the session does. We, we make sure that there isn't unrepentant sin festering in the congregation. We, we seek the spiritual purity of the church. Elders must make sure that what is taught in Sunday school and small groups and Wednesday nights are, are sound doctrinally, as well as the fact that the preacher is faithfully preaching the Word of God. I remember having a conversation with Sean about this a while back. And I said, Sean, it gives me great comfort to know that if I were to go off the rails one Sunday and just start spewing heresy, it would be my last Sunday. He said, Parker, you wouldn't get through your sermon. <laughs> we wouldn't let you. Uh, and that's a great comfort. That's, we have good elders who are watching those things. Well, who should serve? Uh, the first is godly men. Godly men are called to serve. It's an important question as, as, as nominations are coming up. And first, we must say that from the very beginning, God has uniquely called men to serve as the leaders of His church in both the Old and New Testaments. Now, women have a, a very important and crucial role that they have always played and continue to play and play at this church. Um, and their service should never be undermined, dismissed, or downplayed. We are very blessed by godly women in this church who are fulfilling very important roles as they help and serve our congregation and the community. Period. Thank you. But to the office of elder and deacon, the Lord has uniquely called men to serve. Um, we believe that Scripture is the final word on all things, and 1 Timothy 2.12 is really clear on this one. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. That is not out of a chauvinistic view or our head is in the sand kind of thought process because the Word of God says that He has called men to serve as the head of the home and of the church. Um, And so that is why we have men who are nominated here. Peter's going to give exhortations in verses 2 and 3. Not under compulsion, but willingly as God would always have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those who are in their charge, but being examples of the flock. Who should serve? Elders who would serve willingly, not under compulsion, but with zeal. Have you ever had a job you did not enjoy? Um, I loved my first job. I worked at a uh, skeet range in 11th grade, and it was fantastic. I got to shoot as much as I wanted to for free. I could buy shotgun shells at cost, and it was wonderful. I looked forward to going to work. I would get there early and leave late, and the tips were fantastic. You know, I didn't know about tips. Um, And until about halfway through the summer, I thought when people said, keep the change... I thought they were saying, put it in the, t- in the cash box so that your boss will make more money. Um, but it turns out they were trying to give me money all along, and I finally figured it out halfway through the summer. I loved that job. But then, you know, I got to college, and I had a, f- a job that I, r- I really did not enjoy. I worked as a, at a coffee shop. And, you know, a, a four- or five-hour shift is a long shift when only two people come in to buy coffee. And uh, it got very boring, and I really didn't like that job. I was there under compulsion, under a budgetary compulsion, not out of zeal or love as the Lord would have me to do. As we think about the serving in office of elders or deacons, we're, we're called because we want to. It's not to say that every moment is pleasant. It's not to say it's always fun. But when the Lord calls us, He gives us a desire. Not because it's our turn or somebody's trying to get us to do it or Finally, you know, a thousand people have asked, and so I'll finally say yes. That's, that's not what, what a sense of calling would entail. Because a, a church that is full of men who are serving out of compulsion and not out of zeal is a congregation that will, will suffer. 
Well, this is true of not just of elders and deacons, but Sunday school teachers and small group leaders and committee members in every area of our lives. We're, we're called to have zeal, not to serve under compulsion. We're, elders are not also supposed to, to serve for, for shameful gain. Um, I think this is clearly directed toward preachers who are paid, that we're not to come to it with a greedy mindset, I'm in it for the money. That's, that's certainly a heinous reason to be a pastor. Um, but there are other ways that elders can, uh, can also benefit from their positions. You think about respect of others. You think about, I want the title. Um, it's my turn. Th- these are unhelpful reasons, too. We don't want, um, God does not want such men to serve. The third is that men who would not be domineering. Um, have you ever had a very domineering boss who lorded his authority over you? That's an unpleasant experience, isn't it? Um, who will who'll dress you down in front of other employees. Um, this is what Peter is warning against here, that, that elders, when we are called to exercise authority and oversight over God's people, we wouldn't do it in a, in a harsh way, but in a way that a shepherd would, of love and concern. Even as Jesus, he would look out on the crowds and he would have compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. That wasn't a domineering kind of authority. In fact, Mark 10.45 tells us the example of how we are to govern as elders and and deacons. And that's um, that Christ came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He is a man of high character. We find in 1 Peter 3 and Titus 1. I don't have time to go into all of those things, but I've provided for you. We have uh, green paper now, so I'm using it. a green handout which is provided for you on the back table in the narthex and then right outside the office as well with the character qualifications of elders and deacons. And I do encourage you to, to go and, and grab one of those and pray through whom the Lord will lead you to, uh, to nominate this year. God is always in the, in, in the habit of using sinful men to achieve great things for His kingdom. If you find the perfect elder and deacon, run because they don't exist. Just like the perfect church, it does not exist. None of us are 100% qualified to serve in office because that would mean that we were Jesus. Until Christ comes again, that's not going to happen. But that does not remove the, the high calling, the high character that is required of men who would serve as officers in this church and in the church of Christ universal. Christ is the chief shepherd. And it is to the chief shepherd we're told in Hebrews chapter 13, or excuse me, Hebrews 10, that we're told that we will give account one day for how we have cared for the souls under our charge. To give a, a, a brief synopsis of the character of, of elders and deacons, when we think of elders, we think of someone who is of high reputation, someone who is free of unrepentant sin in their life, who has a good reputation at home and in public. If you were to stop someone on the street and say, hey, do you know so-and-so, so-and-so, uh, and if their first reaction was good things, that's, that's what's in view here. They must lead their wives and children well and be able to teach. They don't have to be able to teach a seminary class, but they do need to be able to fill in for Sunday school. I think that's what that means. There's much more on that sheet, and I commend it to you. We've covered a lot of ground this morning. I hope it's been clear. But while we have elders in this church, but ultimately, our great shepherd is Jesus. Jesus is our great shepherd, our chief shepherd, the good shepherd, the shepherd of the sheep. The Bible says all those things. He is Christ Jesus. And he has set the example for what it means to serve both in office and out of office. 
But did you know that Jesus, the chief shepherd, is also the Lamb of God? John 10, 11 says, the good shepherd, how do, we, how do we know he's the good shepherd? I am the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for the sheep, for the flock. He has laid down his life for us. My friends, know this morning that the chief shepherd loves you, and he has laid down his life for you. If you don't know Jesus as your shepherd, as your savior, and your Lord, then this morning he can know, you can know Him as those things because He has laid down His life for you. He has paid the price and the penalty of your sins. If you've never done those things, may today be the day of your salvation. May you come and join our church. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You that You have called um, elders to serve in Your church. And we pray, Father, over this um, process of nominations that You would be glorified by it and You would raise up men uh, the right men of your choosing to serve our congregation. And even next week as we look at deacons, that you would do the same for them. God us and direct us. We thank you that our chief shepherd has come and laid down his life for us, that we might have salvation. Pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.